Right, morning. Good to be with you. I have um, two faithful people who have come to do some readings for us now. So, Sarah, would you like to bring yours? Good morning. Luke 24, 13 to 27. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said, Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. A reading from Acts chapter 8. Philip ran over and heard the man reading about the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from this earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this very same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Thank you both. So my question is, does anyone see a connection in these two readings? Yeah, a little bit in that, yes, that nobody, neither of them recognised Jesus. Elizabeth? Yeah. That in both passages, the scriptures were used to tell the people of Jesus the good news. 
Jesus explains to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus everything about himself from the writings of Moses. So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and from all the prophets. And it says, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then Philip, when he's led to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch, told him the good news about Jesus, beginning with the passage that the, from the prophet Isaiah that the man had been reading from. And the fact it says beginning with obviously means he then goes on to tell and to, to use the whole of scripture, which obviously was the Old Testament at that time, to point to Jesus. And then in John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders. And in verse 39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. I think that statement alone explains why Florin and I thought it might be good to start a new series looking at the Bible and seeing just how and where Christ is in the Old Testament. Let's explore the scriptures together and find how they point to Jesus. Now, we could have this theme for a year or more and not cover it completely. Scholars agree there are over 300 prophecies that point to Jesus and were fulfilled in his life on earth. And it's not just prophecies that we find in the Old Testament. There are Christophanies as well. That's pre-incarnate appearances of the Son of God. The Old Testament uses the term angel of the Lord interchangeably with the Lord in reference to these visitations. And then also, I quote from um, a site called Got Questions. It says there, but there are even deeper ways that Jesus is found in the Old Testament. These are seen in what we call types. A type is a person or thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows a person or thing in the New. For example, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, and the Passover are all types of Christ's redemption. So as you can see, there's a lot, a lot, great deal that we could look at And so for the next few weeks, before we get to Advent, we will look at some of these. And then maybe that will whet your appetite to look deeper and find out more for yourselves. So today, I'm going to start at the very beginning, to quote Julie Andrews. Let's look at Genesis and see some of the references to Christ right at the start of the story of God. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have been deceived by the serpent. They've sinned by eating fruit from a tree that God told them not to eat from. Suddenly, their perfect world is shattered. They find they're fearful of God seeing them. They cover their nakedness and they hide from him. He with whom they used to walk in the garden in the cool of the evening. Because of their sin, God had to turn Adam and Eve out of his presence. 
However, God's great longing to have them back in fellowship with him again is portrayed as he gives the first promise of one who would come to redeem, to redeem them. Sorry. Speaking to the serpent, God gives the first hint of how sin can be done away. This is a promise of redemption. Genesis chapter 3.15 says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. The notes in the New Living Translation Study Bible say, Satan is our enemy. He will do anything he can to get us to follow his evil, deadly path. The phrase, you will strike his heel, refers to Satan's repeated attempts to defeat Christ during his life on earth. The phrase, he will strike your head, foreshadows Satan's defeat at Christ's resurrection. A blow to the heel is not deadly, but a blow to the head is. Even in the garden, God was revealing his plan to defeat Satan and offer salvation to the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And then as it says in Hebrews chapter 2, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Let's go to another picture now in Genesis, and it can be seen in the life of Jacob. Genesis chapter 28, starting at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. There are two things that we can note in this passage with reference to Jesus Christ. First, let me quote from Halley's Bible handbook. The ladder or staircase was a hint that the promises, excuse me, would culminate in something that would bridge heaven and earth. Jesus said he was the ladder. When Jesus became a man, he became our heavenly staircase. He is the one who bridges the gulf between earth and heaven. 
In John chapter 1, verse 5, he's, Jesus is speaking to Nathanael. And he says, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When he says the Son of Man, Jesus was always referring to himself. The angels of God ascending and descending. In my NIV Bible, it says, just as in Jacob's dream, thus marking Jesus as God's elect one whom redemption, sorry, through whom redemption comes to the world. In the passage as well, we also have the Lord making a covenant with Jacob, just as he had with his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac, that his descendants would spread out and that all nations would be blessed through him. If we skip forward to Genesis 49, we see how that blessing will come, and it's through Jacob's son, his son Judah. By this time, Jacob is on his deathbed, and he's blessing his sons. And when he gets to Judah, he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs, shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. This is widely regarded as a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of the Messiah, of Jesus, that through Judah's line, the Christ would come. And if we read in chapter 1 of Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus, verse 3 has Judah's name. Jesus, who would be the salvation for the world, was one of Judah's descendants. And so we had God saying that to Jacob, and Jacob, see, obviously he didn't see it happen, but the fulfillment of that is that through Jacob's son Judah, the line carried on, and Jesus comes from that. So it's just a couple of pictures and prophecies of Jesus Christ from Genesis as I said, there are many, many more. There are many more in Genesis alone without taking the whole of the Old Testament. So we're going to, over the next few weeks, pick and choose a few that hopefully, as I said, will whet your appetite. Why does it matter, though, to know this? I think it's important to know God's rescue plan for us was from the beginning. He knew humanity would rebel against him and that we would lose our fellowship with him. But he longed to be, for us to be back in fellowship with him. He created us to be his friends. And so Jesus left all that he had in glory with his father to come down and be born as one of us. And he was rejected and crucified so that we could have a way back to God. So that we could come and have our sins forgiven. Cleansed by Jesus' shed blood on the cross. And we are now children of God. I think it expands my faith to know the how and the why. And to know that I am loved that much. I am a deeply loved, highly favoured, imperfect, 
but forgiven child of God. Are you? Are you a deeply loved, highly favoured, imperfect, but forgiven child of God? If you can't answer that question for certain, please don't leave this place without talking with someone. We'd love to talk and pray with you. So important. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing story, for your wonderful rescue plan. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you that I am a child, I'm your child, an heir alongside Jesus. Thank you. Amen.